Welcome to episode number 47 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and go a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Taylor Simpson, who is the founder and CEO of the Halo app, which you can find at thehaloapp.com. And the Halo app is a peer-to-peer lending app, which really hits on a big need which Taylor talks about in this episode. We also discuss the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, the failures Taylor has had over the course of his career in trying to launch this app. He's very candid and very open about everything, which I really very much so appreciated, and the unique funding he used to actually get this app off the ground. And we also talk about the Startup Grind conference that we both were at and how they actually had a booth there. And we were able to talk to tons of people through that and so many different insights from him growing this company and i think it's a very valuable episode as always the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast and in itunes apple Podcasts, you can support the show by leaving a rating and review and subscribing to the show there as well and recently i began coaching helping people launch and grow businesses helping people launch podcasts find some insights into this whole business world or podcasting at justgogrind.com slash coaching. So go ahead and check that out. Without further ado, here is Taylor Simpson, founder and CEO of the Halo app. Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, glad to have you on. And obviously met up at the Startup Grind conference in Silicon Valley, which was a surprise, I think, for both of us after not seeing each other for a matter of years. And I see you're obviously up to some cool things. So I'm just curious on even the conference itself. How did you guys get the Halo app in to the conference? I actually wasn't a part of a lot of those communications. Uh, my partner and co-founder Mario did a lot of the corresponding. But I mean, we were just looking. We were, we were building out a schedule towards the beginning of the month of just opportunities. We're a huge opportunity team. Obviously, there was a great opportunity there at Startup Grind to be in front of fellow entrepreneurs, kind of the San Francisco tech community and, and a lot of great speakers. So, I mean, it's it's just on what we call our Halo Tour. We've been to four different <laughs> That was number three. We have one conference here coming up and then we'll launch. So we just wanted to get as much traction, get in front of as many faces as possible here at the beginning of the year. It was a great opportunity. I mean, you know, we ended up being able to get a booth and and pitching probably 500 people. So great opportunity. That's awesome, man. And tell me more about the Halo app and kind of how that all got started. If you can get into your background a bit more too, but I'm curious on where that all kind of came from. Justin, this has been a long time for me. It's, <laughs> it's been about four years and, and we can actually, it's the perfect segue into my background, my experience with tech. This was actually my first venture. It was a failure for traditional eyes, but for me, it was a fell forward moment. For me, it was a lot of learning that happened. I spent my life savings at the time, <laughs> but it was well worth it. <laughs> thinking back in, in hindsight, you know, this is a huge, huge venture to tackle. The Halo app, uh, just to kind of give you a breakdown, is a peer-to-peer lending marketplace. So it's a marketplace that connects backers or people that are looking to lend for a return with borrowers, people that need access to money ranging 100 to $1,000. I mean, it's a crazy simple tech in an area that really needs crazy simple tech, right? So financial yes. <laughs> financial markets are overcomplicated. They're incredibly confusing uh, for the everyday person. And a lot of those markets, I mean, shark off of people, right? They're some of the most discriminatory. They're some of uh, the most sharking 
Um, I mean, they drown their customers, they drown their users. I was, you know, one of the people that felt very undervalued by banks. And I have family members that have used cash advance markets, family, friends, people in my network. So I understand how bad this market can be for people. And uh, this is kind of an obvious solution. I mean, market timing was probably bad four years ago, but makes a lot of sense. You see the Ubers, you see the Airbnbs, but you don't see a lot of those technologies in the financial space. And you mentioned it was a fail forward originally. So what, back four years ago, like what was the app? What did it kind of look like at that point in time or the idea at least? Uh, very similar, very similar. So for me, the vision never changed. So, you know, the vision for what I foresaw for this company, what I wanted it to be, it's always been about people. It's always been about helping, you know, helping people, um, not disparaging them, helping people get back on their feet, lending a hand. So that's never changed, right? How it works has changed because I had no clue. At the <laughs> <time>. <laughs> to be completely honest, I was coming directly out of architecture. I knew I wanted to do something in technology and you know, I thought all tech was the same. Didn't know that doing a fintech app, financial technology was going to be a little bit different. I didn't know anything about legal, about regulations, about the compliance space. I mean, I didn't know a thing. I didn't even know how to start my LLC. So it was a journey from the beginning. And a lot of that money was spent just in the learning process. It was spent educating myself. It was spent making mistakes. I think that's one of the best things you can do as an entrepreneur is failing early. I use that failure because, I mean, not because it's a bad thing for me, it's because I'm very proud of it. A lot of people don't put themselves in a position to fail. And I did thousands and thousands of times. I failed time and time over. And that's why I've been able to be successful. So, I mean, essentially, it, it, it looks very similar. It looks exactly the same. It feels the same, which is a great thing. But I just really figured out the details, a lot of problem solving, figuring out, figuring out exactly how the technology would work and how to get it into, into users' hands. Yeah. And from that progression over time, obviously you said it failed. And then how'd you get back up from that into continuing on to taking the next steps to surviving and getting it to the point it's at now? This is really my passion. My passion is uh, being an inspiration into helping other entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs. But a lot of what helped me to move forward were traits that we all have within ourselves. I mean, a lot of people think when you get into tech, you need experience here. You need Stanford, you need UCLA, Harvard, you need tech experience, you need to know how to develop and code and all these things that are intimidating enough to keep people's ideas hidden. But a big thing for me was just perseverance, you know, the confidence to walk into rooms that I wasn't in before, the, the confidence to, to sit down and learn, the discipline to learn traits. I didn't become a, an expert developer, but I did learn a lot of surface level coding to be able to yeah. just put my idea together and get it in front of people. When I first started, I was actually looking through some of my meeting notes from back in 2015. And one of my uh, team members brought up, hey, listen, a mock-up costs $10,000. We don't have that. And so just problem-solving, hey, listen, let's put together a PowerPoint. Let's scale it to a size that looks like a phone screen. Let's put together a few basic graphics. And I mean, you know, they won't be able to tell the difference. Let's put yeah. a couple in our photo album and just flip through it so people can get the concept at least. So, I mean, it's, it's just being creative. So a lot of those inert skills that we all have as people kind of drove me forward. And I wasn't intimidated to fail. Like I said before, I wasn't intimidated to fail. I wasn't intimidated to be in rooms. And I was also very willing to learn. I'm not afraid to learn. I just learned from as many people as possible. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to hear that failure. And thank you for sharing about the failures because it's always hard for people to bring up. And I think it's important that people understand you have to be scrappy and figuring out, like you said, you use PowerPoint, you put images together to get the concept together. You don't necessarily have to build the whole thing right away because there should be a certain testing and everything to validate it. But I like that you said that. And I think it's important for people to hear that, especially because everyone's not at a level of like, oh my gosh, I can't be Zuckerberg or whatever. We just compare to these top people, right? But it's so much more realistic to compare to like, oh, wait, I could do like mock-ups or wireframes and stuff and get progress, and then move on and move on. And early on, did you have a team in place right away early on or did you, was it just you? I had the lady of my life with me. She's always <laughs> And I had a group of my best friends in the entire world and we and we went for it. It was the time of our lives. <laughs> we just knew we were going to be Steve Jobs. We just knew it. We just knew this was the idea that we were going to change the world. And a lot of people think, hey, listen, if I have an idea, that's it, right? You become a millionaire overnight and you don't realize that you actually have to figure it out along the way. That concept alone makes you <laughs> less afraid to share it, You know how a lot of people try to keep their ideas away from people. They're going to copy it. No, people can't copy your execution. So, I mean, that was huge. That's awesome. And so you have the same team today then that you had early on? I've had quite a few ventures ever since. I mean, that lasted about a year and a half. Ultimately, it failed. Really, I ran out of money. (laughs) To be completely honest, man, I spent everything (laughs) that I had on it. And this is just, I'm a hugely transparent individual, right? And I think it bodes well for people that are, I mean, trying to, trying to come, you know, behind and, and following footsteps. But I mean, I spent everything I had on that, all of my time, my energy, and, and obviously my money. But, you know, that we, we stopped that after about a year and a half. I went into hiding for about a month <laughs> because, uh, again, a transparency moment. You put yourself out there when you, People don't chase dreams, right? People don't go for things. People like to stay in their comfort zone. And for the people that don't, like yourself, like other entrepreneurs, I mean, you're really putting yourself out there. And for me, there's a real thing called founder's depression. Yeah. Really hadn't failed, right? Uh, some people don't accept failure. I knew I would get out of it, but I was I was really down for a little bit, picked myself up, read a bunch of books, went back into the library, learned a bunch. Uh, I did two other apps just to prove that I had learned from my mistakes. I had learned oh, wow. how to make money more wisely. I had learned how to build a startup in a lean model, how to spend more time talking to potential customers versus designing a product based off of your imagination and your thoughts, because sometimes your thoughts are wrong. You really have to get out and talk to people. I did startup boot camp, I did incubators, and I built two smaller apps just to prove it was very successful. As far as a learning curve perspective, I made you know, 10000 here. My second app did really well. And I knew whenever I came back home <laughs> to the fintech, to the, to the peer-to-peer lending, I'd be ready to take this thing off. So you had those two apps you mentioned that you worked on in between kind of, and how did you get involved with those? I mean, just started it. I have tons of ideas. One of the books I read talked about, I mean, your mind is a muscle. It's a, mu- it's a muscle that you can grow, that you can build. Just like people go into the weight room, I try to do mental Olympics every single day. Good piece of that is just trying to be creative. I have a notebook. I've charged myself with creating five ideas per day. And I would like to think in that notebook, there's a lot of billion dollar companies, but <laughs> it was just another one. <laughs> I just saw pain point. Uh, the pain point that the first app solved was, I mean, you know, when I first started uh, Sky, the earlier version of the Halo app, 
we did some GoFundMe campaigns with family and friends, just trying to uh, to raise money for our bootstrapping. It was a very tough process for me. And knowing a lot of smart goals, I just figured there was a better way for people to crowdfund. I, I did some research. I found out that 72% of crowdfunding campaigns fail. A lot of those wow. campaigns are are the, the campaigns that could really move the world forward. A lot of the ones that succeed are, are tech products, right? Which obviously move the, the world forward, but they're not, you know, the foundations that are creating children's magazines, complete right. content magazines, or, you know, bringing people directly out of, you know, the jail system, the prison system and getting them jobs. Those are the campaigns that are failing. I just tried to find a better solution. I created a smarter way to crowdfund using cubes, using smart algorithms. And it was pretty cool. We had a, a lady from Ghana, Africa. She was raising money to get another van because she picked up women in high crime areas to take them safely home. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that... It's amazing. That, right? That's the kind of stuff I always want to be a part of. So that did really well. I eventually I gave that company to, to my partner uh, just because I knew it was a an educational app for me. And I wasn't as passionate about that as I was about some of the other ventures that I was working on. But I feel like people should build. Don't sit, don't think a lot, just build. Building is what's really going to move you forward. Yeah. And building that. So is that like you're saying an iPhone app, like you would learn Swift or which languages is that? Yeah. Swift for the most part. I mean, there's tons and tons and tons of resources. And whether it's an app, whether it's a basic HTML for web, I mean, even if you're using the non-coding sites, there's tons of them. I built websites to kind of (laughs) pick myself back. You asked me how I got myself off the ground. I was doing six things, delivered groceries. (laughs) I was an Uber driver. You know, I built websites for companies. I mean, I had a bunch of fun. So I had like five different things that I was working on at the same time. But I had built websites for about three years straight out of college. and and Wix, unsurprisingly, is putting a lot of custom developers out of business because, I mean, it's a powerful tool. So, I mean, even for people that think that they have to spend tons and tons of money hiring someone like myself to independently develop projects or or learning the code, I mean, I would advise that. But, I mean, there's tools, there's tons of tools that you can use to promote or get your ideas off the ground. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. And I know back in the day when actually Zach Shimmons and I were we were coding our own website, which was sixpackpod.com way back in the day. It's not around anymore, but that was HTML, CSS. We just learned from like, we use Dreamweaver. We learned from like W3 schools or something. Yeah, like, you know, you figure it out. Subset to Dreamweaver, Adobe Muse is an awesome tool as well. Yeah, if you're interested, you just got to find it. There's definitely resources out there. And then if you really want to be serious about, just to get a little tangent, on the coding side of it, like you can definitely do a coding bootcamp as well. That's a whole different route of being a software engineer, different necessarily than this type of thing, maybe, depending if you want to work for someone else or have your own stuff. But there's definitely resources out there. And one thing you mentioned though, is kind of curious, like you had, you picked up these jobs like Uber and like delivering groceries and everything. So you knew that you still wanted to be an entrepreneur, still want to build your own thing. So you didn't get a job, job, air quotes, with someone that would maybe tie you down more. Is that right? I mean, correct. It's hard to get out of. Once you become an entrepreneur, I mean, that spirit never really dies. I would hope not. So, I mean, for me, I really enjoyed the excitement of it all, right? The purpose that you feel when you wake up, obviously the freedom. It's not just, you know, the freedom from a let's go have fun perspective. It's the freedom to really manage your time, budget your time throughout the day. 
and you realize that you have a lot of time to do a lot of different things, um, a lot of different passions throughout the day. So yeah, I really didn't want to get away from that freedom. I did really want to make some money. So I had to figure it out. <laughs> definitely. That's definitely a thing as well. You need that to survive. So you can have these ideas and stuff. But if you don't eventually make money, like you're not going to be able to live. It's a very important thing. Sorry, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time really wanted me to make money as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, the pressure, right? <laughs> and I want to get back into the Halo app too. Obviously, you guys this point where you have something for the startup grind conference and stuff. And you mentioned the first you know, year and a half that that failed. You had to go separate ways, do different things. But how did that the latest iteration of the Halo app come to be? So I had been working on that kind of on the side, making connections, still attending, you know, any meetup that, that was happening in the area, flying around, trying to meet advisors and mentors. I mean, ever since we had stopped. But really, I was doing some work with Home Advisor Angie's List. And I met my current partner, Mario Barron, who, I mean, superstar salesman, top 1%, obviously, in, in sales. He rang the bell for the merger, super talented guy. We were just sitting down and talking. He actually asked me to build him a website. He had two Maseratis at the time. <laughs> and he said, man, you know what? They're just sitting in my garage. I want to start something where, you know, I can lease out the Maseratis, not for people to drive because, you know, obviously there's this huge, and, and that kind of, you know, leads into my startup advising. I figured, you know, although I hadn't had a huge success or a billion dollar exit, I had enough knowledge to help other entrepreneurs get off the ground. So that was kind of the phase I was in. I was talking to tons of people, but met up with him. We kind of worked through his idea. He risked it a little bit, but his plan was the to lease it out for photos for like proms and weddings and different things like that. I was building his website. Obviously, it looked great. <laughs> he said, man, you're really good at this. What else are you doing? I said, well, nothing really at the moment, but advising some startups and, you know, kind of working on this project that, you know, I had started three years back. I showed it to him. I, you know, I went through the pitch deck with him and he yeah. thought it was amazing. I said, yeah, I, I feel the same way. He said, what? <laughs> Me too. Thing <laughs> off the ground. Um, and it was kind of my moment, right? So I built it out. The thing that I really believe uh, caused you know that first venture to fail was as soon as we figured it out, we should have built the product, right? As soon as we figured it out, I spent a good majority of my time and we had grown the team to about six. Then we had hired two people outside of my circle. I spent a lot of time pressuring myself into getting VC funding. And if anybody has ever raised money, they know uh, how, you know, how much time that takes away from the actual building and creating of your project. So, I mean, right. for about eight months, I was, you know, going around and that was a lot of money as well, but driving around, attending, you know, demo days, speaking to VCs, emailing a hundred VCs a day. Yeah. All of them just wanted to see a little bit of traction. So when Mario asked me what I needed, I knew exactly. I said, Hey, listen, I need $30,000. It's going to cover this, 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 and this going to cover an MVP. We're going to build it. I did it with Funfolio, my crowdfunding gap. It's going to work. It's going to be great. It's going to take off. <laughs> so, I mean, that was it for him. We made it make sense. We talked for about four months about it. We detailed it out. And on July 4th, actually, of last year, he texted me, he said, I'm all in. And I, I, I told him, I said, that's all I was waiting for. So we went, we uh, signed some legal documents. We met up with a few lawyers to cover some regulatory stuff. And then we started to build that week. We put it into wow. motion and we've grown our team substantially since. We've raised nearly a million dollars in funding outside of VCs. 
And that's just another learning curve for me. We pitched business owners. We went into restaurants and asked for the managers. We pitched waitresses. We figured if the waitress told the owner how great the idea was, we would get a meeting. We pitched people with our kids. We're both new fathers. We pitched people in the back of bakeries and got free bread and $10,000 checks. I mean, we were, wow. <laughs> we were living the dream, you know, pitching four or five people a day. And so we raised, I mean, before we even started getting big checks, we raised about $300,000 in five and $10,000 increments. So, I mean, that was a huge change for me. And for me, that felt like it was time well spent. We were moving, you know, it's much easier to get access to people in that range. And a lot of people don't think about it. They walk past these restaurants and they go back into the buildings with the VC firms. But I mean, for, for us now, that's leverage, right? That's money. We've built, we built the project. We've, right. We were able to build our team out. We were able to solve some of the other stuff, create partnerships. And by the time we walked in the rooms, it was an easier sale. We've been blessed enough to turn down tons and tons of money because you know, we may never be in the position to, uh, to need VC funding. So definitely have to ask a few questions related to that. So how did you think about approaching restaurants? Obviously, you're thinking, kind of thinking about everyone, it seems like, for funding, but like restaurant owners in these places, like what was the strategy behind that? To be completely honest, um, and I'm just going to be, you know, brutally honest here on this podcast. I love it. Uh, love the I honesty. <laughs> as soon as I walked into Home Advisor. It changed my entire life. So just to give you, I mean, if anybody's seen Wolf of Wall Street, Home Advisor parallels that movie almost to a T. I mean, I never knew that there were, I mean, in my eyes, regular people, right? Judges, doctors, those are the people making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars plus. I walked into a room of salesmen, 23, 24, 25, 32, and they're all making a hundred thousand dollars plus. And so in my eyes, I was thinking it's a gold mine. These are people that are angel investors, right? I mean, we hear that, we read about it in tech. There's tons and tons of angel investors in this room. And it really skewed my perspective into just, I mean, just looking for those checks, right? Five, $10,000 right. here instead of looking for $100,000, $200,000. So uh, that really skewed my perspective. And then just the things that I wanted to do for my next venture. I didn't want to go to a VC firm. I had a, a very strong foot about that. I didn't want to go to a VC. I didn't really ever want to go to a VC unless it was the right fit, unless it was on my terms. And then also you find a lot of people that, you know, really believe in you. I mean, those are the people you want around. We've been blessed enough to have 25 investors that, I mean, believe in you in a circle conversation. You have more time to cultivate those relationships. I sat down with tons of them past, you know, the back of the bakery. We've sat down for dinner for hours. Uh, you know, they've attended events with us. We had a couple of investors that, I mean, we had four of our investors at Startup Grind. We had a couple of our other investors at in Miami for a conference. They travel with you. It's a different kind awesome. of thing and a different kind of relationship than what you get with VC. Traditionally, when you get institutional investment, you know, obviously they have a portfolio, they have yields that they have to meet for their private investors. So they, I mean, there's not a lot of care and compassion there. But, you know, you can create family roots when you talk to people at a business level. So 25 investors is what you kind of have right now, you said, right? Yes. Five, $10,000 checks, that type of thing. That's how you got your almost a million in funding. And how are those like set up in terms of those, like, re those relationships, I guess, and those actual deals with that? I have no idea about the details on that. I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, really just the same pitch. Hey, my name is Taylor, right? We're building this incredible tech company. We're based right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, your home, my home. And this is going to be big. It's going to be a billion dollar company. I don't know if you know how it works, 
it starts here with this conversation with you, with the other guys that are investing in this company that are just like you. This is our product. We're mobile lending marketplace. X, Y, and Z. This is our market size. This is our team. This is the team that's going to build it. This is the product that we have thus far. This is what we're raising. This is what we're raising it for. These are the questions you probably have. Let me answer them. It's really just a conversation, just like, you know, telling your best friend about an idea that you're really passionate about. If you can exude that energy, that passion, people believe it. I'm really big into connections. I really care about every single connection that I make. And that honesty that you give to people, people feel that. And if you can get somebody to a point of feeling, they'll invest in you. And it doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be money. It can just be support. And so I always say I have hundreds of investors and some of those investors have pockets, right? And that's how I approach everything. So, I mean, it really just starts with the conversation. If someone believes in you, you make the ask. Any decent salesperson knows they have to ask for the sale. At the end of the day, we are transacting money. There is legal, you know, stuff in place. But, um, you know, there's a huge return here. Tech company is not a real estate investment. Uh, It's not investing in the stock market. It is slightly higher risk. But, you know, if you're a first investor in any kind of tech startup, we're talking about 50, you know, 100, 200 X returns on your investment. So business deals, fund deals, business deals, creating relationships. Yeah. So is that set up similar though to like the VC route in terms of like you need an exit for them to, to actually cash out or is it more like they'll get something it's a different way? I'm just curious on how that's kind of set up as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there's different ways you can set it up. Uh, you can set it up on a traditional common stock note. If anybody's familiar with like convertible notes or our, yep, definitely. our investments are set up on a safe note, which is very similar to a convertible. Uh, so which is what Y Combinator started, right? Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's great for startup founders. It's also great for investors. There's a lot less paperwork involved. It's saying, hey, listen, I invested in you on this date at this valuation. I believe in you. Let's make this thing work. As soon as you get any kind of series funding, you can convert those or any any sort of acceleration. That includes an exit. Right. Aside from that, you just really watch the valuation grow. But yeah, it's very similar. The safe notes are great. Y Combinator was very smart for putting it together. It, it really streamlined a lot of the, the interactions between you know founders and investors. More importantly, it allows investors to invest in this early stage. I mean, I mean these are great opportunities. These are great opportunities. Yeah. And a lot of people think with five, ten, twenty thousand dollar checks, they can get involved, but uh, you absolutely can. That's awesome. And so did you have a certain point, like when was the date, I guess, or the time time period where you kind of were like, okay, we're done fundraising. Now we're back to building. Has that happened or is it just kind of like you're still always talking to people or how's that gone for you? We're still talking to people. So we've slowed down. It really slowed down when we reached the point where we had enough to uh, to get to market, right? We're building or we're still fundraising to be able to have some runway. Also, we're fundraising to not need VC funding moving forward. Right. So we can get to a point where we break even and, and we're profitable. But I mean, it was, for me, it was really 120, right? 120 allowed us to have some fun with it, to add some of the features that kind of take it out of the MVP range. <laughs> if you know, <laughs> MVP, they're, uh, they're very, very rough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it allowed us to build a competitive product, you know, get all the resources and the partnerships that we needed moving forward. Uh, and then, you know, the, the money that we raised after that is, is growth capital. So it gives us flexibility and allows us to, um, to get 12 to 18 months out, which is a dream come true. We're able to run our business for about a year, year and a half. 
and not run out of money, even if we don't, you know, make revenue, which obviously <laughs> it is not the goal. But yes, <laughs> yeah, but the focus actually happened a, a few weeks ago. So we just switched back into building phase. We switched back into company organization phase into really building structures that we can scale to 40, 50, 60 employees. Uh, we also transitioned into our marketing phase. So, I mean, currently we're building a spectacular marketing campaign here in Indy for women. It's International Women's Month. We bought 500 tickets to Captain Marvel. We're going to run a contest later this week. Hopefully nobody from Indianapolis is listening. It's a surprise. We're excited for you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to launch that here soon. And it's all leading up to, uh, we're going to create some buzz. We're already partnered with some newspapers and radio stations. For uh, March 31st, we're throwing a Everyday Superwomen. So Everyday Superwomen Conference is going to be the greatest room in the entire country. For that evening, we're going to have a lot of power. It's going to be about 2,000 to 5,000 women in one room. And we're going to acknowledge and honor Everyday Superwomen, uh, people that will be nominated from their family and friends. And I mean, it's going to be spectacular. I will not be there, but we do have <laughs> my wife, who's our co-founder, and uh, two other ladies. And then, I mean, a, a whole room full of supporters that have kind of been helping us along the way. And, and hopefully about 4,000 or 5,000 women as well. That's so exciting. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And you mentioned the team. You mentioned your wife as well. But as part of the team, like who is all on this team right now? What does that look like, that dynamic? What are their roles? I'm kind of curious about that too. Yeah, awesome. So we're we're very non-traditional. So if you saw us at Startup Grind, our positions were exactly what we do. I don't want any confusion. So I've been product. Obviously, I'm CEO, and I'm going to transition more into that role here. I mean, now, but I handle product. I handle everything product. Any product that comes through, not only the app but websites, CRM tools, even integrations, API integrations. Some of our partners. My wife is the best human on earth, right? We call her Ellen DeGeneres 2.0. She literally is. I mean, that's why I married her, but <laughs> she handles our brand and she understands the company that we're trying to be to a T, right? A giving company, a very transparent company, a company that was built for people. It's always going to listen. We're not just going to send you to some customer service channel, um, but she handles all of our branding in our community. We have a gentleman, Josh Abelos, that handles internal, our people division, which is human resources, essentially, uh, company organization, calendars, kick butt morning huddles every single day. Uh, even though we're a team of six, I mean, you know, he does it like we're a team of 60. Uh, Mario, my, co my other co-founder, handles everything money. So money's on his badge. Uh, traditionally, he'd be a CFO, but, um, you know, budgeting, spreadsheets, forecasting, analytics. I'm really big on scenarios. Hey, listen, if we just do a thousand, what else can we ramp up as opportunity? Right. Attention stats, all that. We have a business development. Cindy Gonzalez handles all of our biz dev, our relationships, our partnerships. She's always out doing, you know, network events, any kind of relationships. We're looking to partner with an IndyCar uh, racing team here. I mean, Indianapolis is huge on, on Indy racing, but just any kind of connections, whether that's radios, whether it's press. Uh, that can help move the company forward. I mean, she handles that. Uh, we have a young lady in charge of our storytelling. Storytelling is is very important for me because what you say is great. How people receive it is even better. And some people are really good at both. Really just taking what we want to be and putting it in compelling literature is what her specialty is. And then we have a team of advisors that are awesome. 
We have a gentleman out of, in San Francisco who did 25 years in risk. You know, we're oh, not wow. just doing that. Our app is bank level security. It's high level risk scoring algorithms. It's, uh, you know, machine learning fraud prevention. So, I mean, we're really spending a lot of money and bringing in talent that has been in this space for, I mean, for years, for decades. So uh, he handles, you know, our heads, a lot of the risk prevention, you know, in alignment with myself. And we have a gentleman that's been in Marketplace. He did, uh, you know, C-suite for Home Advisor. I mean, we have advisors all over. We try to cover all of our knowledge gaps and implement some expertise there. And then we have our investors. Like I said before, we don't just have traditional investors. We have 25 investors that absolutely right. are not afraid to get their hands dirty. And we lean on their expertise every single day. So, I mean, our team feels like it's 100 uh, on a day-to-day basis. We do have six that are pretty, uh, I mean, working full-time right now. Yeah. And that's awesome. Having those investors too, like multiple investors, obviously, and it's not VC. It's not, you have to have XYZ return. Obviously they want a good return, but they're very vested in your success <laughs> and like in this situation, like, which is perfect, just exactly what you need. So sounds like a great scenario. Absolutely. I agree. And what is that vision moving forward? Kind of your next few steps here with a company? Justin, we want to first and foremost be the best company in the world. I mean, we have a product that's in the largest market, you know, obviously everyday money, right? Um, right. But because it's everyday money and because money is the root of all unhappiness, we yeah. have an opportunity to change lives. And we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. We always say the Halo app is one of the only applications that can exist without the internet. And we mean it. We're very passionate about that. We've seen what this product can do for people. So first and foremost, we want to be the best company. We're a financial technology app that gives. That's very different. Right. People don't feel that from Chase Bank. People don't feel that from <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, literally. Millions and millions and millions of dollars charged every single day. $60 billion in overdraft fees from banks alone. That's crazy. People are paying that, right? 400 to 500% APR on cash advance loans. And people are paying that back. I mean, so people are truly being disparaged by poor financial opportunity. And this is going to be an app that does quite the opposite. We're also building trust. The relationship between our users is going to be incredibly important. You're talking about people lending money to other people. And to liaison those, those connections, you really have to understand what makes connections powerful. And a lot of that is trust. Trusting that someone cares enough to not be evil. I know that's Google, right? Don't be evil, but not Don't be evil, evil right? <laughs> we, we allow freedom on the platform intentionally because uh, you have no freedoms in banking currently. So we're pushing a message of positivity. Our positivity bombs are the highest selling t-shirt in the entire nation right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, we have hundreds of people here in, here in Indy, you know, wearing our positivity bomb t-shirts and we mean it. Right? We mean it. We want people to be more positive. We, we want people to appreciate the interactions that we're creating. We want people to live free. Our mission statement is to redefine how people or to uh, transform the way people define being free. And freedom doesn't have to be a million dollars. Freedom can just be, uh, you know, an extra $5,000 in living with purpose. That's what we're really trying to create for our users. Nice. I love it. It's a great mission. And I think you guys will do very well, it seems like. And I want to get to some more tips and tools, for, especially for entrepreneurs. And what are some of the resources you think have been helpful, particularly for you, kind of on your entrepreneurial journey here the last few years? Books. Yes. Books are, books are huge tools for me. 
you know, knowledge acquired is not as important as knowledge applied. So, I mean, don't just read, but use it in your everyday life. I don't think people read enough. Me and my, one of my team members were talking for a long time. I think we get discouraged from reading at a young age because, you know, parents traditionally spend more time figuring out what kind of movies and TV you like versus what kind of books you like. Read stuff that interests you. Read, I mean, read, reading, reading, reading every single day. I mean, some people read one book a week. Uh, if you're too discouraged to do that, set a smaller goal, right? One, one book a month, one book every two months, or just a page a day. But I mean, getting after it and really diving into some books and learning is going to be huge. That's what helped me. And then asking, you know, tons of questions. If you want to be an entrepreneur, don't look for, you know, Bill Gates. Some of the greatest yeah. entrepreneurs are right around the corner from you. I spend a lot of time talking to contractors. Contractors are some of the best entrepreneurs, plumbers, electricians, painters, lawnmowers, right? Sitting around and talking to them. How did you build your business? How did you get over your, I mean, your first couple hurdles? How did you get your initial customers? So just talking to people, being brave enough to, uh, to talk to people, to have some interactions. And then lastly, you know, as an entrepreneur, not being afraid to fail, trying yeah. different, um, fail forward is, is actually the name of, my small business consultation, but I think that's huge. Everybody's going to fail. Failure is inevitable. You can't hide from it. It's going to find you where you are. So if you're going to fail inevitably, <laughs> then fail forward, <laughs> right? Fail forward. Don't be afraid to fail. Fail forward, keep pushing, keep grinding and learn from it. The more you fail, the more you learn. And that's why we kind of started with that. I'm, I'm not afraid to, uh, to broadcast my drubbings, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to, uh, to broadcast my, uh, my failures because I'm proud of them. The fact that I can tell you 1,000 failures means that I put myself in a position to fail 1,000 times. And I think that's huge for, uh, for young entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely the idea of putting yourself out there and trying is such an important... So many people are crippled by even the first steps. They don't know what to do. They're so concerned about being perfect literally just trying and doing things. And if you fail, so be it. You'll figure you closer to whatever the next thing is that will be successful. And hearing that from more people, I think is helpful, especially people then have had more success and hearing that, oh yeah, you just, you have to keep trying things. It's going to, you're going to fail along the way, but who cares, right? Like who cares as long as you, you know, you're going to succeed in the end. And that's something that's important. And with the small business advising, I'm just really curious about that too. It's obviously it's a separate thing as well, but how did you get clients for that? And what does that kind of look like? currently? I mean, it's the most amazing thing that I can ever do. I think getting someone from idea stage into receiving an LLC is the most powerful jump that an entrepreneur can make uh, because it's the first step, right? So for me, uh, my clients come from, I mean, from car dealership, from libraries, from, from McDonald's, you know, from, from anywhere and everywhere that I can make a connection. Anybody that said, hey, I have an idea for an app too. Well, what is it? And then I give you that very serious stare down. And then, I mean, people will, people have great ideas. I mean, left and right, left and right, left and right. And they're, and they're far too scared to move forward with them. Or they feel yeah. like they have the skill set or the resources to make them happen. That's where a lot of my passion comes, right? Well, let's do it. I do a, a one week boot camp. You can get from idea to company in, in a week. They can knock it out day by day if you're willing to put, you know, put forth some effort. An LLC costs 75 bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know what it is out there, but you know, I mean, some people don't, don't go for it because they feel like, hey, I don't even know how to start a business. Well, let me help you with that. I mean, a lot of that can be a 10 minute conversation, but 
that's where a lot of my clients come from. Um, people that I feel like I can really impact and I can really help with, uh, with my skill set. And it's, uh, it's growing ideas. I'm really passionate about growing ideas, about polishing ideas, about making them realistic, and then uh, just helping them with a lot of the early stage resources and things that they need to get themselves started. That's awesome. And what I'm wondering too, with all these things you're working on, as well as having a family and you know, the most amazing wife in the world, how do you manage your time and energy each day? So, I mean, my schedule is pretty much the same. I have taken the awful, the, the quite, the quite awful task of getting up at three o'clock in the morning, each and every morning. Uh, reason being, I really want to be home by, uh, by noon or 1 PM. So uh, my day is three o'clock. I get up, I stretch for about 16 minutes. You know, I question why I'm up in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I call my Lyft or, or Uber. I usually take an Uber downtown so I can read. I read on the way to the office. I have some alone time from 4 a.m. to about 6 a.m. My team usually, you know, gets up and going around 4, you know, so they're ready to get rocking and rolling by 5. So I meet up with them at 5.30ish. We go to the Y, the downtown YMCA in, in Indianapolis, and we go after it for about a, an hour and a half. I'm trying to get back into high school mode, but you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> age has caught me slightly, but you know, we go after it. We're usually done there by about seven, seven thirty. The time alone in the office is usually time for me to just kind of think, decompress, figure out my schedule, answer emails, think of things at a high level. And then at eight o'clock or seven thirty-eight, we just start executing. We usually have a, a pretty strong checklist of things that we have to do for the day and, and we just go after it, you know, line by line. We do a morning huddle traditionally and then work for about four hours, take lunch together. We take a team lunch, we laugh, and then uh, we depart. That's awesome. I love that you have a different schedule than, than typical. And I, I will say that I also wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. typically, and it's definitely not the norm, but it's so helpful for getting things done beforehand, especially like for me having school. It's like I work from 3 and I you know work for an hour or two and then have work out as well, then work some more, then have classes, then who knows where the day will go from there. But it's so helpful to get that time alone to yourself to get things done, to think high level, to do all of that. And if it has to be early, so be it. So that's what I've also had to do. And I, I like that you mentioned like you have your team activities as well, had the, the YMCA four or five hour session, then lunch again, building that team and then time for family and everything. I, I love that you had that kind of mix of everything in there. Yeah, I mean, I end up working about 24 hours a day because obviously my wife <laughs> has a C-suite. <laughs> so as soon as I get home, she wants to talk about marketing strategy. I mean, and, and then, you know, I'm usually reading and the stuff that I like to read is in tech. <laughs> I, I read the newspaper, so I feel like I'm working 20 hours a day. But um, <laughs> when you're doing what you love, uh, when you're passionate about what you're doing, I mean, it, it's the easiest work in the entire world. So, yeah. Love it. And is there any other advice for, I obviously gave a lot of advice for you, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, but is there any other things, you parting words you give for aspiring entrepreneurs? Man, yeah, um, there's so many things. There's so many things. One of the greatest motivational speeches or lines in a motivational speech are most impactful for myself. Lines in a motivational speech was really just, you know, asking the question, what's the greatest pain you can ever feel in your life? Right? It's not you know, a stab wound. <laughs> it's not a stub toe, uh, just to add some comedy. It's not, you know, breaking a bone. It's not, 
a lot of things that people would assume via physical pain, it's regret. Yeah. Regret, regret is the greatest pain that you'll ever feel. And so as an entrepreneur, if you just motivate yourself by avoiding regret, you will be incredibly successful in life. If you're living trying to avoid regret, you're taking chances, you're not afraid to fail, you know, essentially you're growing and, and growth is what leads to success. Taylor, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing, what you're up to and your app and everything? Please, please, please. I guess I'm a social influencer now, man. I got like 30,000 followers on Instagram, but please follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I don't post on the permanent post, whatever you call it. Listen, I'm, I'm a tech guy, but I'm not a tech guy. I don't even know what social media language or language is, but I don't do the permanent post, but I do post on my story quite often. The Halo Taylor. So, I mean, you know, I usually do post about my morning routine and my team. Also, obviously follow us at The Halo app. Yes. Uh, everything the Halo app, www.thehaloapp.com. To keep up to date, we just actually launched it a few weeks ago. Uh, positivitybomb.com. You'll see a lot of some of the bombs that we're dropping, you know, here in Indy uh, in regards to giveaways, giving events, partnerships. But yeah, majorly www.thehaloapp.com or at the Halo app cross platforms. And follow me on the gram, I guess, at the Halo <laughs> Was that awesome. good? Is it at on the gram? Right. You on the gram? Uh, gotta ha- hit up the gram, man. Everyone's on there now. Such a huge market. But, but Taylor, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate the time. Hey, listen, anything. It was a it was a powerful connection meeting you at the start of grind. Uh, I'm so glad to see that you're doing well, and I mean, I love what you're doing. It's needed. It's very positive. It's very powerful. So, anything that I can do, or you know, my, my resources, my company, my team members, anything that we could do to support moving forward. Uh, please do not hesitate and, uh, and we'll help out. Appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. And same goes with your stuff as well. I'd love to help out. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.